Hey everybody, welcome to episode 18 of Dipsomania, the podcast about booze and cocktail culture. I'm Jake, and in this episode, Lance and I are talking about the last word and other joys chartreuse can bring to our lives. I hope you enjoy. Hey, happy day. Hey. So we're drinking lovely green drinks. It's a little something special called the last word. Very green. Well, not, I mean, it's not absurdly green. It's not like there's Midori in it. True. But everything in it is green. Right. So Every, the everything's the either clear or green. Yes. The chartreuse and the lime and then maraschino and gin. Yes. In equal parts. So you can make this as big as you. Uh, this is like a really good party drink. It's a great party drink. In fact, uh, as I've mentioned before, my, my coupe glasses are a little bit large for a standard three ounce drink. So I made, since I was making two, <laughs> in, instead of just doing one and a half for all the ingredients, I bumped it up to two ounces for each ingredient. So just a scant, like extra quarter ounce of each ingredient. And that makes it fit perfectly in my coupe glass. And it looks like a margarita, so your 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 patrons, your guests, could be fooled into drinking it if they don't like gin. <laughs> well, and I think this is probably the least ginny of all gin, gin drinks I've tasted, just because there's such a strong flavor from chartreuse, and it's balanced with the lime. Like, I barely even noticed the gin in there. Get how how much I like this drink. It's a fantastic drink. And it, it scares me off sometimes because that's such a large amount of maraschino. Uh-huh. And chartreuse. Yeah. And as you point out, that can overwhelm a drink really easily. Both of those. Either one of those could. But somehow... But married together. Married together. It's the perfect balance. It's delightful. So, so again, so I'm using Four Pillars gin. Oh, I'm jealous. Which has become my favorite. Uh, this is not the Navy strength because we got to get through this <laughs> together. Uh, and the Navy strength is is got quite a bite on it. <clears throat> ah, um, uh, but I have a fresh bottle, so I needed to, to drain the other bottle. This was as good an excuse as any. Because oh. you keep. I mean, for me, it's like uh, need. I I want to keep it around. It's really delicious. But then, of course, it's like, but I want to drink it because it's really delicious. Right. And once you get a fresh bottle to replace it, you might as well. Go for broke. Yeah, I use the uh, Leatherby Gin, uh, which is delightful on its own. Um, I just thought it would work because it's a floral sort of nice gin. Mm. Um, but again, with the uh, Maraschino and the Chartreuse, I'm not really sure it was worth using something extra fancy. Well, you, you bring to mind, so I have their Vernal Gin, which came out last year, I think last spring, and it is it is quite, it has a quite uh, distinct flavor to it. The, the, the vegetables and herbals and things that they used are, are strong. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering, like, if I add another strong thing to this, what will happen? Right. That's kind of what I was thinking, because the standard Leatherby definitely jumps out from, say, a Negroni. Like it's really noticeable. Mm. It's mm -hmm. it's very nice, but it's noticeably noticeably different from a standard like London Dry. And that's the good thing about. So I recommended Four Pillars to my new boss at work, and because he's a gin drinker and he'd never heard of it, and he he 
uh, voiced some reticence about using such a fine gin in t- to mix with, mm. as if I I only I only want to taste, but it works fabulously. So well, the, yeah, really really good. And you can always buy more, as I say. <laughs> it's literally across the street from my my office where I go to get my gins and things. Your gin store. Yeah, basically, and and they always they always tend to have something new that I haven't tried before. So I will always I number one I trust them because they do have a small selection, and then I always want to try a new gin to see if 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 it's gonna you know be my new favorite. Right. That's how you found the four pillars, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. Just gonna get drunk anyway. <laughs> uh, well, this is so. So I made. So my friend came over yesterday, and I made uh, my standard go-to when I don't know what to make, which is whiskey sours. Mm-hmm. And I ended up after he left making myself another one. So it's a good weekend for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. I. It's funny. I always forget about whiskey sours. You could count this the last word as a sour. Um, mm-hmm. I just like I like my whiskey sour because it's it's so my my whiskey sour especially it works well with two people. So it's for a drink. It's two ounces of whatever you want to use bourbon wise. I used Michter's and half a lemon juiced and a quarter of an ounce of simple syrup. So for two, it's just easy. It's an entire lemon. Yep. It's four ounces of bourbon mm-hmm. and a half ounce of simple syrup. Perfect. You shake it up. It, it's like can, it's like an adult candy bar. Yeah. It's just delicious. No, it, whiskey sour is such a great drink, as we discussed in the yeah. show. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I'm rehashing. It was just such a good a good Saturday. And what what's always exciting for me is around this time of year when I make my blood orange simple syrup, which I mentioned in the last show. Uh, mm-hmm. That makes a pretty damn fine whiskey sour as well. Plus old fashions. Always old fashions. They're very they're very in right now, is, is what I hear. Yeah. Everyone's drinking them. So real quick, we should talk about this drink we're basing this show on. Okay. Uh, it, it's got kind of an interesting history. Uh, uh-huh. Apparently it was developed just before Prohibition um, at the Detroit Athletic Club. And it was... The creation of it was attributed to a vaudevillian. Uh, Go for it. He's not even an actor. He's a monologist. So he would do monologues. Oh, oh okay. Interesting. Um, basically, stand-up comedy stuff with some singing and other performance. Anyway, he was super famous. His name was Frank Fogarty. And uh, because he was a talker, he was known to have the last word in uh, conversations. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, but then after World War II, it kind of disappeared mm-hmm. as so many things did. Yeah. So in the early 2000s, a fellow named uh, Murray Stenson was in Seattle. He was opening a place called the Zigzag Cafe, and he found an old book that included the recipe for the last word. So he figured he'd put it on the menu and see what happens. And uh, it took off and m- even more so it took off within bartender circles as mm-hmm. sort of a template to work with uh-huh. everybody's got variations you know uh phil ward in new york developed the final word <laughs> or final ward actually mm-hmm. uh which is bourbon and lemon juice and chartreuse and maraschino souther teague from amori margo 
uh, doesn't use juices at all in his bar. So he developed a version that uses Montenegro instead of the lime juice with some lime, oh. lime bitters. That's called Oh My Word. <laughs> the paper plane is based on the last word. Where did you learn of it or where did you have it? Do you remember? Because um, I do. I have a distinct memory of this drink. I feel like I heard about it well before I actually tried it. Um, there's a regular at the place where I'm a regular, uh, the Rhino Yacht Club. And uh, it's his favorite drink, and he orders it every time he walks in. It's his starter drink. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's... I feel like I already knew about it then, so I don't have a clear memory. I was at a, a restaurant that is now closed and went through a couple of iterations, and all of them were good, but its location was such that it just couldn't get any clientele. They also had a really good bar. Uh, they were it's Charles. It was a Charles fan thing. He does slanted door here, mm. and I asked for something from the bar, like a corpse reviver, but uh-huh. not a corpse reviver. And this is what they gave me. And then I went through a big last word phase where I was making them all the time. Really? Because well, I mean, again, it's hard, it's easy to remember the recipe. Sure. Equal parts of things. It, you generally have limes around, at least I do. Mm-hmm. Um, chartreuse, I don't use actually for anything but this that I can think of. Right. Because it's uh, to me, chartreuse is too sweet. I mean, I know, I know there are people who just like to sip it and and present people because it's what eighty dollars a bottle, something like that, for the big uh, bottle. Around here, it's like sixty-five or sixty. So it's it's not an it's not an it's, uh, it's basically double a standard like good bottle of booze like a good gin is usually like 30 35 per 750 yeah and chartreuse is close to double that um so i and i i always just keep a bottle around but i have the little the little bottles sure and um yeah i was i was the last word guy for a while there and and then i went in the same way that i went through an aviation phase like once i learned how to make an aviation and people had never heard of it and then they loved it and the same thing with the last the last word i think is the same thing if if you are if if you have people around and you don't know what to make them this is the this is and you have chartreuse right which not not everybody does but you should probably have a bottle of chartreuse and just get the green this is what what i i can you use the yellow in this uh not in this i don't think i've actually i don't think i've ever had the yellow so i don't even know what the difference is the yellow is sort of more mild, like it's not quite as bonkers with the grassy or herbaceous mm. stuff. And then there's the really expensive one. Uh, the, well, there's the like medicinal, super concentrated elixir version, which I I don't think you use <laughs> that in cocktails. I think. <laughs> yeah, it it's yeah, it's intense. Like it's really uh, supposed to be like medicine. Yeah, snake. And you know and what goes? I'm going to say this will go. This goes well with the last word is chips and salsa because that's what I had before we joined each other. And it, like I said, it 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 has the same properties as a margarita in that it's mm-hmm. got the sweet and the sour. And the it lacks, acid, yeah. It, it it really does sort of want a salty snack to go with it. So I think if you've got people who, for whatever reason, don't like 
tequila and or margaritas. This is another alternative for the, that. And just fool them. Yeah. Don't even tell them. Well, and uh, I don't know. It's hard to be mad at this drink. Like, <laughs> I, have, well, I have a really hard time with chartreuse, but this drink, I, I, I can just drink this drink. It's, it's no problem at all. What, well, what drinks are you mad at? Mm. <laughs> uh, in a general sense or just specifically with chartreuse? Well, you, you mentioned it's hard to be mad at this drink. And I'm, so that made me wonder, what drinks make Jake mad? Hardly any make me mad. <laughs> yeah, but, nah. Except if it's poorly made. Well, yeah, like a shaken Manhattan would make me mad. But um, <laughs> no, I, I was thinking more of like people that hate tequila or people that hate gin. Like, I don't think any of those people would be offended by this drink uh oh here's another uh variation the naked and famous yes and that does use yellow chartreuse so that's mescal yellow chartreuse aperol and lime wow i wouldn't even i don't know that that's a variation on this well so it's it's the whole template thing right so this is a four part equal parts so just that as a template is something and mm-hmm. then and then it's got citric citrus juice so it, it's uh, sour so it's got that template shared so like there's enough shared lineage for that you know the aperol is taking the place of the chartreuse and well the yellow chartreuse is sort of sweeter than green chartreuse so it's sort of stepping into the role of the luxardo okay uh a machine gun is uh a barrel aged gin cardamero Mm. Aperol and lemon in a chartreuse rinsed glass. <laughs> There's also the division bell. Uh, that's a mezcal, lime juice, Aperol and maraschino. So more, more right. Aperol is very popular. Yeah. Well, and so Aperol is like the less bitter cousin of Campari, right? That's how I think of it. Yes. Because it's orangey and somewhat. Yeah, bitter. it's. But, not quite not quite the bite that Campari has. Yeah, but a, a bit sweeter. So I, I think that fits in with all this sort of acid, and especially mezcal, that smoky sort of backbone agave flavor. Um, something sweet and sort of orangey brightens mm-hmm. that up and softens it a bit. It is a question of balance. I think I may actually have put in a little more lime than the other ingredients in mine i didn't i didn't because it's for mine was three quarters mm-hmm. three quarter, and my <laughs> and my measuring thing doesn't have a, a three quarters bar so i'm eyeing it right so i got up or down around there and for sure on the lime when i did half a lime it wasn't enough so i did another half a lime and then it was too much lime. ah fuck it well see it's great that's also why i ended up going to two ounces of each for my two drinks yeah. Um, just because that was an even amount of limes to get to two ounces. Like I had three sort of dried out limes and they mm-hmm. they made two ounces. Yeah, that, that's how I came up with that daiquiri recipe last week on, on my Twitters, the mm-hmm. the wrong daiquiri. Because right. I, I, I thought I had more juice than I did for the <laughs> limes. Turns out not. And I was making it for a bunch of friends. So I just, I thought of the Hemingway daiquiri. And I put in a bunch of grapefruit juice to make up for the missing lime juice yep. and the hint of maraschino. And then I carbonated it, and it was a big hit. So I'm very happy with that. Absolutely. 
It was weird because I thought the grapefruit, I put in a lot of grapefruit juice and I thought it would really come through and it, re- it didn't. It was a very mild, mellow drink. Yeah, grapefruit juice tends to actually disappear pretty surprisingly easily. Sad. Sad. Uh, here's another one. The Rites of Spring. That is gin. I'm going to say this wrong. Genepi or Genepi? Genepi? Mm. Genepi. Aperol and lemon. So Genepi is like one of the Alpine Amari, like very sort of spruce tree and that kind of twigs and leaves. <laughs> and one more, the last straw. Uh, the straw comes from strawberries. So they, uh, they or he being Joe Robinson, uh, infuses chartreuse with strawberries. Mm. And he replaces the maraschino with elderflower. Oh, wow. Huh. The last straw. Interesting. Are we in berry season yet? I don't think so. Damn it. Um, just since I mentioned it earlier, the paper plane is bourbon, Aperol, lemon juice, and Amaro Nonino. Mm. So mm. A light, sort of bright Amaro and Aperol. Is the Nonino the one that is sort of walnutty? Eh, kind of nutty, a little bit nutty. Yeah, yeah, very light though, and very. Yeah, it's good on a rock. Yeah, it's delicious just by itself. Oh my god, I finished mine already. This is this is, I think, a record. Yeah, you you sped right through that. You were thirsty. But yours is bigger, so I'll, I'll give you some chance to, to catch up. Um, anything going on in the in over there? Uh, <laughs> nothing worth uh, immortalizing on the on the podcast. No. <laughs> well, you you had mentioned uh, a a list of bars. Um, oh, that is uh, true. Um, Two hundred and sixty three bars uh, in a, an article at Liquor dot com, yeah, and it's, lamenting it, a bit that there were only four in Denver. Right, uh, which is really not surprising because. Colorado is still a flyover state and the people that compile these lists are, you know, the liberal elites on the coasts. Sorry. You know, (laughs) yeah, I agree. We're, we're assholes. Uh, Um, 263 is a lot of bars. I, I, so this is, this is the com drink here now, 2017 list. Um, it's apparently a thing they do every year. And, yeah, 263 bars. That's 90 more than last year. Oh, God. And you would think, well, like, they're going new, exciting places. but And there are some bars from, you know, London, Ireland, Singapore, I think, had one or two. And a few other places. But mostly it's fucking New York and San Francisco and Seattle. Seattle actually surprised me. They had quite a list. Um. But yeah, beyond that, Denver. Yeah, I'm look. Denver had four. I'm looking at San Francisco now. They do this. This interface is weird. As an interface guy, I really dislike it. But all right, because yeah, the, it pop the, it pops the, up the bars as you scroll. I really wish you could just like pick a city and see that. Yeah, this is sort of annoying. But just from an interface point of view. I mean, but yeah, I'm still popping through. Uh, they also categorize. Uh, bars 
by type of bar? Well, they have genre bars, which includes Irish, question mark, <laughs> tiki, huh. whiskey, tequila agave, gin, rum, cocktail, question mark? <laughs> yeah. That, uh, okay. Uh, so you, like, so I. To me, only tiki is a genre in that list, but. Uh, San Francisco ended up with 30 bars. Yes. And I am scanning the list to see if I vehemently disagree with any of their choices because that seems like a lot. Like I I mentioned to you when we were discussing this huge list, I, I frequent maybe three bars and they do tend to be in my neighborhood. Sure. And then when people ask for recommendations, I might expand that to six. Um, and often I will only include bars with food, right? Because people are looking, they don't want to just go out and get drunk. They're looking for a night, you know, I want a nice night out and I want to have a nice experience. And it can be annoying to go into a bar where there is no food and realize I haven't eaten and now I'm going to get pretty drunk. Yeah. Uh, quick, quick rundown. Nothing sticks out as being wrong. I would, I know the Buena Vista basically has to be on every San Francisco list because that's the home of the Irish coffee and it's very popular and people go there, but it's not a very good bar. Well, it, it's, it's a institution, right? Like, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's been there forever. Literally been there since almost uh, over a hundred years, 1916. Yeah. And it, it's, it's over there on the wharf. So it's got, it's kind of got a, you can wander around and it's kind of pretty, but I mean, yeah. I don't know that I would put it on a list just because you felt obliged to. Mm. That's just me. But I don't recommend it to people. Like if you want to get a good <laughs> You don't a, you don't re, you don't recommend it to actual human actual beings. Hum, no, but I always I always recommend Tosca, which I believe did not make the list. Uh because they also have a signature San Francisco the the Tosca cappuccino, which includes no coffee. Mm. Um and it's really good. It's much. It's a much nicer bar. It's nice. It's nicer. Is that the people a- April the Bloomfield place? Is is over there in North Beach? Um, I don't believe it made it. No. Yeah. Nope. They didn't include it, uh, which is a shame. So I guess I. That's what I would do if, given the opportunity, I would take Buena Vista off and put Tosca on. See, here's what made me raise a really strong eyebrow about Denver's rankings, though, is there are two bars listed for jackson wyoming <laughs> well it's a celebrity hangout so it is so let's go there that's important well, and app- apparently uh one of them was at least consulted on with the uh death and co boys so dave kaplan was up there doing some good work so the one bar on the list that i'm not familiar with is our bar <clears throat> which is That's the letter R. Yes. The letter R, R bar. Uh, it says it's the ultimate neighborhood bar, which is probably why I'm not familiar with it because it's over on Sutter and I am not at all <laughs> in that neighborhood. Um, wow. They didn't. Yeah. I would have also put absinthe on this list. Uh, they've been around a long time and they don't tend, they, I mean, they do daily cocktail specials, but they don't really tend to update their 
house cocktails because they they've just had them forever. Hmm. And they're still still really good. The Ginger Rogers and uh, some others that I can't name. But and I I admit that it's in my neighborhood. It's like a block away from me, so I have to I have to give props to them. And I, I and I will say uh, I I didn't bother to count. And of course, this interface doesn't let me count easily. But uh, Chicago had quite a number of bars listed as well, probably around a dozen or so. Um, I was going to, I want to look at Seattle because I've got friends. So I don't know about you, but I do have people who ask me as if I travel the world and know all the bars in all the cities, where should I go when I'm in Seattle? And I'm, uh, and I think I get it wrong anyway, because Cannon's in Portland. No, Cannon's in Seattle. Can, okay. So I always recommend Cannon just because it's like top of my head where what's in Seattle. Um, but there's a ton of them there. And I love, ooh, that's a good name. Damn the weather. Yeah. That's perfect for Seattle, right? Ooh, chicken fat fries. Oh my God. I got to go there. <laughs> yeah. I think, if, I think bars need food, some kind of food. Absolutely. Yeah. There's tons of bars here without any food and they're perfectly respectable, very, very good cocktail bars. But you really, I, I guess I kind of object to having to plan around them. Right. So knowing that there's not going to be food, like what I are wanna... you going to do? Go get something to eat first, and then leave that place that you're already comfortable right. in sitting at. And... Now there's a lot of bars along Hate Street that that do the thing where you can go next door and get a burrito and bring it back in, and we're fine with that. Sure. Or go get a sausage, you know, on a on a roll, and come back and have your beer and combine it all together. And people wander around, and that's fine. But the ones like Bourbon and Branch. Yeah, that's not quite the level of bar we're really talking about with this list on Liquor.com. Either. No. Like, yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't tend to see the dive bars on the hate, which are great, by the way. Uh, here, oh, that's another bar that didn't make it. it was would be um, down at the end of Hate. God, I'll think of it later. Yeah, now that I think about it, there's I maybe I should just make a list and say ignore that list. Here's the real list. I, I'm still working with this interface, trying to get to the Denver list. I'm, I'm stuck. It's terrible. I'm stuck in the middle of New York, so it's going to take me a while. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna look. So you've got yeah, you've got four. What what and are, what what numbers uh, are they? Uh, number one is the way back. No, the numbers on the list. Oh, I have no idea because I'm looking by city. Oh, how do you do that? There's a drop down at the top of the map. Oh, there is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an interface guy, so I look for these things. But again, I, missed, I looked for that and I missed it entirely. Okay. That points again to how terrible this interface is. So the way back, I have not been to. Um, what I hear is they do good drinks and great food. It looks nice. I like the slatted ceilings and, and the mm -hmm. overall bar look um i i think that's probably i think they're adjusting like it's a relatively new place it, it opened 2016 as the thing says and uh i think they're sort of dialing in their drinks i i think when they opened they had too many sweet drinks and mm. some of my friends weren't totally into it and it kind of didn't inspire me to go so i haven't been fair enough let's uh Williams and Graham. Williams and Graham is a very important bar. Uh, this was the first sort of 
speakeasy bar in Denver. Um, Sean Kenyon is known worldwide in bartender circles. Um, and it looks tiny. It is quite tiny. You actually, uh, the speakeasy, the speakeasy aspect is you go through a swinging uh, bookcase and down a little hallway, and then there's this bar. And it's a tiny little bar. Uh, like, the bar itself is what's in the picture, and it's surrounded by stools on three sides, I think. Mm-hmm. And then to the back of this photographer is a row of booths. So, like, four top booths. And a bookcase. That's in the middle, and that's actually the standing bar. Like, you can actually go in and just stand at the bookcase and have your drinks, if that's all you're having. Mm-hmm. And they do have food, it says here. Yes. They they actually have some wonderful food. It's probably one of the best burgers in Denver, too. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I know about the bar burger. ABV here, folks. If you come, come to San Francisco, go to ABV and get the burger, because it is awesome. So yeah, Williams and Graham is totally important and should be known. And then uh, I'm going to do what? Palenk? Palenque? Palenque? Palenque. Mascarilla. They need to have names that you can say when you're drunk. Well, I mean... It's... If you're trying to explain to somebody, I had a really good time where I don't know. Spanish people can say that drunk. Come on now, Lance. Um, are, you, I... are you calling me racist now, Jake? <laughs> Uh, I have not been. I have not been to Palenque. It's a long name. It's many, many letters. I, and I, th I think all you need is Palenque and okay. A tequila agave bar. Mm -hmm. Have you have you been? Not at all. Um, uh, Looks like it's in the middle of nowhere ish. No, I mean that's. It's between a golf course and a park. That's sort of the uh, University of Denver area. It's Platt, Platt Park? Yeah. Just off down. So Platt Park, and then down to the right is University of Denver. So like, I see that, yeah. And last but not least, Occidental Bar. So Occidental is the next door bar to Williams and Graham. It's basically the waiting room for Williams and Graham. <laughs> so you... You wait in the bar for the bar? Yes. <clears throat> like, but so, somebody joked to Sean that he should name the place the waiting room instead of Occidental. And it really would have been the better name because the people. So it Williams and Graham used to have a line that would circle around the corner. Mm -hmm. And now they have Occidental where you can wait there instead and have a beer but you still want to go to williams and graham occidental's just not good enough yeah no uh occidental is like the neighborhood bar feel so it's got dad beers and they may even shake their manhattans just on purpose like <laughs> it's that kind of feel i'm looking now at la a, a city i don't frequent but i know that the food scene is super hot and L la had a really sizable list yeah it it's nineteen for Los Angeles, uh, and the thing about LA is it's so spread out. I would think it would be hard to hit these. Oh yeah, you can only hit like well, I mean the the first three or four are just sort of all in a row. Yeah, I don't. Again, I don't get down there, so I'm I'm not familiar with these. Oh, I may have been to Tiki Tea. 
I had a friend who had a tiki themed wedding, and it was somewhere. I, I've tiki, been to but... Tiki T. It was a tiny ass place. This is the place where uh, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it was one of the last bars in LA where you could still smoke inside. Mm-hmm. Because it was privately owned and some rule, whatever. Um, well, the, the that's no longer the case. But the smoking the smoking law in California isn't about the patrons; it's about the employees. So if the employees all agree that you can smoke, then you can smoke, mm. and then the employees can smoke as well. But if even one employee is like, "No, I don't want any smoking going on," then it's you can't smoke there. Right. Uh, we went to this place because it was just down the road from where my brother-in-law lived. No, this is not where I thought it was. <laughs> no, yeah, it is. It is exactly all. All of the first like six listings are in the same area, and that's Los Feliz, sort of Hollywood, which is where we hung out. Um. So yeah, we went to Tiki T. Just my wife and I, because we had some quiet time to ourselves, everybody else was at work or something. So we mm-hmm. walked there and we walked in, in the middle of the day and it was so dark inside, just dark. And everything was like festooned with Tiki stuff as Tiki bars do. And, uh, we sat in a booth that sort of overlooked the bar and just got our drinks and then just watched the show because like, <laughs> It was, it was like middle of the day. So there were only kind of hardcore regulars in there. Mm-hmm. And every time somebody ordered this drink, there was like audience participation. Like when we're speed pouring the rum from on high, all the audience bangs on the bar. And like it, it was, it was, it was quite an experience. Hmm. I'm not a big, as we've discussed before, I'm not a big tiki drinker. Um, I enjoy it as a sort of a lark, but it's not someplace that I would seek out only because for me, they all tend to run together after a while. They're all pineapple and coconutty and rummy. And I don't, I'm, I, they're not, I guess, distinctive enough for me to like, go, want to go back and try. Yeah. All, all the mainstays, certainly that that's the case. Uh, I, I like to explore the fringes of Tiki Stuff like the Jungle Bird really excites me. That's Campari and pineapple juice, and it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when I can find like you know gin-based tiki drinks or something like that. Like that gets me, or whiskey-based tiki drinks. That that's kind of exciting to me. I didn't literally. I didn't know that that those existed. I thought everything was just rum. Nope. Is this are this is is that new? Mm-mm. They were always around. They're, I just wasn't aware of it. They are few and far between, but they were always around. Um, so New Orleans only has nine bars listed. That seems tragic to me. That seems very bad. Maybe they didn't want to be, I mean, I mean, a lot of New Orleans, they, they like it that it's a little neighborhood bar and they don't want anyone else to show up. So maybe they don't advertise. Maybe. Um, honestly, (laughs) if you're going to have a list of 263, like you could at least just make separate lists for each town that are comprehensive and just pile them all together. Well, this also seems a shame. Tokyo has one. Yeah. That doesn't seem accurate at all. No, from what I know, I haven't been there, but from what I understand, there's a ton of them there. Milwaukee has three. 
<laughs> Where is Fitzroy? Fitzroy has one, the Black Pearl. Oh, it's down in uh, Australia. I'm going to say because there's a Melbourne mu Museum and the University of Melbourne. So why it's Fitzroy and not Melbourne, maybe one of our... Do we have any Australian listeners who can tell us why that's called Fitzroy? No, we don't. Damn it! Uh, and New York, 50. It's interesting that they separated West Hollywood from L.A. Oh, yeah, that is weird. <laughs> well, it is a separate city. It's not the same. Right. They are, they are incorporated. Yeah, so. okay. And they're super gay. <laughs> Good for them. So, just just saying. Mexico City, a, a city of I don't know how many million of people, has two good bars, apparently. Mm. Uh, that also seems wrong. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what their criteria is, and they don't really know. So. I don't know if Mexico City cares about cocktail culture, you know? Like, maybe they don't. Um, Portland only has nine, which Portland is a small town. Nine is probably appropriate oh and they they also uh they should i don't want them but they separated oakland from san francisco and there's only one in oakland which i know is false <laughs> that is terribly not true <clears throat> let's see what paris has real quick and then we'll break to uh get round to paris has four so denver is on par with paris I would agree with that because I mean I haven't been back there in a while, but they don't. Paris is not a cocktail culture. But that is where all the bartenders went during Prohibition. Like that seems a shame. They all died then because they're not there anymore. Well, I'm I'm sure they're all dead. <laughs> that was the yeah, 1920s. and they didn't breed any new bartenders because it, it's very you know it's a very obviously very wine culture. Yeah, uh, and coffee everywhere. But <clears throat> finding a Finding a martini in Paris is a challenge. Also, there's uh are there any Spanish cities at all? There's Seville, that's that's Italy, right? Spain. Seville, Spain has one. Um, yeah, no Bar no Barcelona, no Madrid. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how I don't know what this is based on. You you'd think there'd be a like gin tonic club or something listed. For. It is it is a very America centric list for sure. So anyway, one yeah, enough about that. If if I if I was recommending bars to travelers to Denver, I would have included Williams and Graham, and that's pretty much it. And I would <laughs> I would have recommended Occidental as the waiting room for Williams and Graham, but it's it doesn't stand on its own as a significant. You wouldn't recommend recommend Rhino Club. I would. That's what I'm saying. Like from oh. this list, okay. Williams and Graham would have been the only one I would have recommended. Um, yeah, I would. I would have recommended Yacht Club. I would have recommended Finn's Manor, Bar Fausto, several others. You need to start writing for them. That's a job right there. So, the, you're the Denver correspondent for Liquor.com because they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, I don't know what I can do to. Increase visibility for Denver. Denver as a bar culture. We have quite a scene going on. It just doesn't seem to be recognized. Hmm. I mean, uh, the Williams and Graham won the Tales of the Cocktail, like big 
award for like best American bar, um, maybe two years ago, three years ago. Um, mm. And that seemed like, oh, Denver's on the scene. Like we're on the map. And then nothing really has happened since then. Well, are we going into number two here? Yeah. So what are you, what are your plans? I am going to do Pete's word. Who's Pete? Pete as in what scotch is. Oh my goodness. So it's scotch so it's, and the other. So it's you just switch scotch for the gin. Oh, funny. Um, so it's going to be sort of like those mezcal variations we were talking about, but most of those also played with other ingredients instead of just keeping them the same. And uh, although this call it calls for Lafroig, but I don't have Lafroig, so I will I will vamp. <laughs> you have something peaty though, I hope. I have something super peaty that I use for the John Cameron Mitchells. So right. I'll be Um I'm gonna do a final word. Um which is bourbon instead of gin and lemon instead of lime. Uh everything else the same. I'm out of Luxardo Maraschino, so I'm actually using the uh Leopold's Maraschino for this one. I Which is quite dry. Yeah. That'll be interesting. So, adventure. All right, here we go. All right. Okay, so I told Heather that the last round was the last word, and that this round is the final word. <laughs> and she said, is the next one going to be, I just need to say one more thing. <laughs> <laughs> and then the one after that is, I'm going to let you finish. Okay. I So I looked up a little bit more. Pete's word uh, is also from Phil Ward, hmm. another, another riff. Uh, and I approve. Interesting. It is, it is literally a last word with a bit of smoky peatiness to it. Yeah. So if you um, like those things, it's, it's up your alley. I honestly don't know if it's the change from Luxardo to Leopold's Maraschino, but this, or if it's the lime to the lemon and the lemon to the lime. Um, something about this final word isn't quite working for me. Not, not, not working. I've tried using the Leopold's Maraschino, and I just went back to Luxardo because it didn't, it doesn't work the same. Mm. It's very dry comparatively. Um, and I think it, I think one or the other, I'm not sure which uses, uh, both the cherry stones and the cherries mm -hmm. to make it. And I think that adds a little something that is missing from the other one. Right. Um, yeah. I wonder if it's the traditional Luxardo uses the stones because, uh, creme de noyau is made with stone fruit mm -hmm. pits um, really interesting process. Uh, I think maybe Jamie Boudreau or somebody like that uh, has a blog post about how you can do your own if you're totally insane. <laughs> <laughs> I, but I love those people. More power to you. But yeah, I'm not going to go on that. Um, you can just buy it from Tempest Fugit and it's delicious. <laughs> Did you happen to see the article about the, the Tokyo bar where he makes everything he makes everything in front of you yes which means he makes your campari yes in a in a mortar and mortar pestle. and pestle yeah that 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 to me is the bridge too far yeah you don't well, only only because 
I mean, the ingredients exist. Right. And I'm not sure what the advantage of making everything from scratch as you sit there is. Well, I mean, that at that point, it's almost more performance than just bar. Like, I wouldn't go there and have five drinks. I'd go there and have a drink and think it was amazing and then go somewhere else. All right. Go get some rum and and be happy with myself. Mm. (laughs) It just, I'm not sure why it doesn't appeal to me, but it doesn't appeal to me. I, maybe because it is such, it, it makes all of the things that I like about a bar sort of absent. So I think, because I think it's just you and the, and the bartender, literally mm-hmm. you go in and they sit you down and he appears from behind a curtain yeah, and, and he asks you and which of the, there weren't other patrons or anything based on the description in the article. No. So you go in, he asks you which of the four base ingredients you want to start with. Mm-hmm. And then he makes you something based on that Whiskey, in front of gin, you. absinthe or Amaro. Like, yes, that, that's even that's an interesting list. Like that's mm-hmm. not, those aren't typical base. Like, the first two are typical base spirits. But yeah, the last two are more accent notes. I mean, I'm adventurous and I would probably do dealer's choice and say, you know, make I like all of those things. Yeah. A- absinthe a little it would probably be at the bottom of my list. Right. Um, but I would be curious to see what he given no instruction, what he would make. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. But, I, but I, like I said, the thing I like about bars is the bar. I like the bar back and the bartenders and chatting and mm-hmm. looking at the other people and sharing what you're drinking with the other people and trying a new ingredient and all that kind of stuff. In so, I mean, in that sense, everything's a new ingredient. He's literally making everything in front of you. One presumes that he knows what the combination of ingredients should be to make Campari. Right. Or his version of Campari. But it, it, it seems like it got more casual after the drink was delivered, because then he was, like, showing the old French book where he found the still, where he made his own absinthe and blah de blah He was actually <laughs> showing that and, like... Had to use Google Translate because I don't read French and all that stuff. Got a little bit more casual after the fact, but like, yeah. Well, but it's very that's very intense. I would hope that you can bring a a companion along. It's not just you and the bartender talking about liquor, yeah, the whole time. Um, I I admire that he had a dream and he fulfilled it, and he's doing this very particular version of bartending. Um. But I, I don't know. It's just, it's just not, not for me. Yeah, I, I would want to try it once, but probably only once. I think I might be disappointed in that my mouth was ready. If I said like Negroni, and it, I put it in my mouth, and I'm like, well, this isn't a Negroni. Yeah. Nice try, I guess. <laughs> this isn't it. I see what you were going for. <laughs> I do wonder how do you make Campari? That seems crazy. Yeah. Because aren't there weird, like, well, maybe he doesn't do the coloring. Maybe it's just all about the taste. Right. So in that case, it's like bitter orange. Like you can get like dried 
bitter orange peel and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. Probably, yeah, it, it you can probably simile get there, but still, seems but still, yeah, so, we've got plenty of variations on what a bar should be, even in our own little city here. We've got the, we still have the speakeasy bars. We've got the buy a ticket for the bar. Uh, we've got a, um, we've got the bar inside the bar inside the bar. We have literally gone to three levels now so there's a bar in front yes there's a bar in front it's not just two small bars in the larger bar it's inside inside nested there is a bar inside the bar inside the bar you have matryoshka doll bar yes in fact (laughs) yeah and you you get to the back i don't know i don't know what the difference is between them other than maybe you you're supposed to feel more special in the in the closet than you are in the bathroom as opposed to the living room do, do, do you have to first gain access to the bedroom before you can get into the bathroom no uh you can if go there's directly room, you can go you can go back there you can and i if memory serves I've, I've only been in the middle bar i haven't been in the tiny bar but the the front bar was mostly beer uh-huh. and then the bar inside the bar was cocktails yeah i don't know what the bar inside the bar inside the bar was just and let, unless it's like this Tokyo bar and he it's like one person at a time mm. specific <laughs> I'm gonna read your mind I'm gonna I'm gonna meld I'm gonna, I'm gonna do gonna, a Vulcan I'm just thing gonna touch your face and, and, and see <laughs> maybe lick you a little bit which you know we're we're friends now <laughs> and see what I can make for you but yeah. yeah we do have a bar inside a bar inside a bar here fun uh, there's the so in downstairs from the Leo Leo Lot Yacht Club. Yes, is another bar that that's the one where you can you have to buy admission one only one week in advance, and there's a specific limited number of admissions to that bar. <laughs> okay, you can walk to Leo Leo because it's a restaurant. Yeah, but the downstairs bar is. Uh, is uh, reservation only one week in advance? Huh. Precisely one week, probably because it fills out. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's a smaller space than the upstairs, um, and they do still serve food. I haven't been downstairs. Liho Liho is great. I have nothing bad to say about Liho Liho. Um, they they do a kind of a riff on um, tiki drinks. Yeah. Um. Uh, and the, I've never had a bad time there. The food is amazing. Um, What's the food I, like? Is, is it like Polynesian stuff to go is. with the tiki? Uh, it leans toward Hawaiian and Polynesian. Okay. Um, uh, it's But it's super filling and all really good. They do like the pork belly sliders at the bar and, and ooh, so good. I want to go there right now. But um, I don't I don't know about the downstairs bar. And then... Inside Bourbon and Branch is Wilson's. Right. And I, it seems like they also did a variation inside Wilson's for a while, but I think they're back just to bar inside bar. Ooh. So uh, speak looping back a little bit, uh, sort of combining topics. So there was a time when, is it Trick Dog that has the... Changes the menu. Theme yeah. menus. Mm-hmm. When they came to uh, take over Williams and Graham in Denver, 
And I told you about that and you were like, you should go. And I was like, yeah, but it's on a Tuesday. I'm not going. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They're doing it again. Well, you should go. Yeah. I think I might try this time since I don't have a job or anything. So Um, nothing standing in my way. uh, I'm sorry. Say it again. Who's taking over? (laughs) Trick Dog. Trick Dog. Yes, Trick Dog is um, other than the menu, and the only the only uh, downside of the menu is sometimes it's hard to read because it is so tricky. Like one time they did a sl- a, a sleeve of forty fives, right? And the and the title of the drink was on each forty five, so you had to take it out of the sleeve and look at each one individually and try to figure out. You couldn't scan anything. Yeah. Another time they did a a map that unfolded and they were it was written all over the map. Another time it was um, government conspiracies, so it was a, a file folder, mm-hmm. and every everything was on a different, like, this is aliens, and this is yeah, JFK. Redaction and, bars and all that stuff. Yeah. I, I think I saw that one. Um, so the interesting backstory here is uh, Williams and Graham takes their entire staff to Europe every year. Well, hmm. to somewhere every year. They travel to some region where they can visit producers or interesting bars or like just increase their knowledge. And they used to just close down for that. And now what they do is they invite other people to come and take over the bar. So this time trick dog is in town for three days, March 16th through the 19th. So I figure I can make one of those days. For sure, I, I, I yes, they their drinks are really good, and they're doing some of them tend to be to me overcomplicated uh-huh. uh, with many many ingredients and little touches of things, um, well, and I and I'm, and maybe because their challenge is that they have to refresh their menu and they they are trying to be original every every single time. But I've been a few times. It's in the mission, so it's it's a it's a. Uh, it's a walk, um, but still walkable. Been, it's still walk. Well, everything in the city is walkable given time. We're yeah. only seven by seven. Um, yeah, but some of those hills. Some of the, yeah, <laughs> but luckily, <laughs> yeah, there, there's no hills in the mission. Um, and yeah, I you should go, and I'd be interested to hear what your opinion is of of what you do or what what you find there. Well, and what's also intriguing to me is uh, it's in partnership with Campari. Oh, so I like all those things. (laughs) Yes. Um, Yes. I bet they, so does that mean that all of their things will be Campari-ish? I kind of doubt it. I mean, because Campari also encompasses other things, right? Like Campari USA I think also is the umbrella that Chinar lives under and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So could be interesting. We don't really do takeovers here anymore. I really love it because it, it's. We best. do pop-ups inside things. I, I also love that too. But these sort of takeover things, A, are usually time for like, we're leaving town, so you mm. use the space. Try not to burn it down. 
Um, <laughs> Are they doing the food too, or just the drinks? No, they're taking over the whole thing. Oh, so yeah, definitely go because their food is also really good. Yeah, they have a they have a nice menu. And very that, that's that's how the Williams and Graham takeovers work. And I really love Sean for doing that. He's done it for at least two or three years now. And yeah, that's cool. That's nice. Yeah. Do you know who else has done it? Oh, all kinds of super famous bars that I can't think of off the top of my head. <laughs> I'm pretty I'm pretty sure Three Dots came in from Chicago and mm-hmm. um I wouldn't stake my reputation on it, but maybe somebody like Dead Rabbit. Came. Wow. Like <clears throat> Sean has connections everywhere. That's a that's a haul to come into to come in and take over. Well, I mean, he's those, those those guys are traveling everywhere. Oh, like once once you have a famous bar, you're traveling all the time because you're basically a brand rep for some. Well, you you should go for no other reason than to make sure that Denver gets on the map for the next time, and you can recommend to them. You know, here's where you want to go while you're in the city. Mm. Here here's the good places for drinks, and you might pick up some you know new ideas for stuff. Yeah, and it's funny when I look at the event. It's there's a Facebook event for it, and when I look at who's going, you know, it's all my millions of bartender friends. <laughs> yeah, like I, I don't have to try to friend these people because I'm already Facebook friends with all these people. Is there anybody? So, um, I wonder about the bartending culture. Like we're probably weird in that we don't own bars we don't tend bars we like bars and we like bartenders are there do you have you ever met anyone like you uh i just did actually i just made a new friend um that's sweet yeah it was fun (laughs) um how did you meet him or her so we were introduced via email by a mutual friend Mm mm-hmm and my response to the introduction was like, well, if he works at or used to work at this place, I probably have like at least been in a room with him because I've I know lots of people that used to work at that place. Mm-hmm. And then when we met for lunch and like hung out for a while, it turns out that he had posted something on Facebook and a different mutual friend had tagged me in that to respond to it. Mm-hmm. And his post was like, "Hey, I want to get into bartending." Like he's he's a he's a tech dude like a, I am. Like he's been a like VP of engineering and stuff like that. Yep. And he's still going to work in the industry, but he he's interested in like working a, a side job at least as a bartender, which of course I think is insane. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I yeah, I don't know, but you know, more power to him if he has a dream and he has a passion. Let him let him go. Go for it. He thrives on it like he's an extrovert, and he those people. Yeah, he's he's one of those. Um, But aside from that, we had some basically everything else in common. He's he's an extrovert, and he has a bunch of kids. Those are the only differences between us. Whatever. But anyway, 
Um, so I had responded to his post saying, like, you probably need to start out barbacking. Like, just go someplace and barback. Like, yeah. Find a bar that you think does really interesting things and volunteer to barback. Um, especially since you're in a place where you're, you're not driven by making some cash. Like, you can barback for free and mm-hmm. learn, learn some things. And eventually you'll get to mix some drinks and... Yeah, I have to believe like the the dream of what being a bartender is and the reality of what being a bartender is are probably pretty diametrically opposed. I think there's a lot of hard work involved. I think there's a lot of like you know, the, the we sort of talked about this. I I don't want to deal with drunken people. <laughs> right, exactly. I I don't mind like my my dream is like to have my living room and people come in and we have like noshy things and I make them some drinks and everybody has a good time done right I, I don't want to be there at one thirty in the morning with some asshole who's like I want more drinking because <laughs> I am an asshole and I have to deal with that I, uh, no oh and, and on top of that so. The thing I I learned today that I didn't know was uh, at Milk and Honey when Sasha started that mm. little tiny bar in New York. Yeah. Do you know how many Do you know how many seats there were at the bar? I don't. Three. Holy tiny! Yes, there was like that to me again. That seems like the perfect bar, right? You can control things. Oh my goodness! Like- yes, there were, <laughs> there were only three seats at the bar. I think there were other tables, you know, in the space. But the bar was tiny. Because Souther Teague always talks about how tiny his bar is. And- well, that's it's kind of like, so Linden, I've talked about Linden Room, and that's kind of like why I like it, because it is, it's tiny. And Tokyo has that sort of thing, where there's just these little, like, Well, Tokyo, Tokyo has that for food, too. Like, you can go into a yakitori place that seats exactly five people. Figure that out. <laughs> I I think that is a, I would love that in here in San Francisco so that we don't have all of these giant venues which are jam packed shoulder to shoulder with people and really hot and sweaty and uncomfortable inside. I would much rather have a, a series of tiny bars that seat like half a dozen people and you don't necessarily get pissed off or anything because there's a lot of them. You can go yeah, to the how, other. Part. How do you know about them? Because then they multiply. Like then they're just ubiquitous and like you know your neighborhood's bar. Like there well, are I don't, there are no like, destination bars if that's the given case. our economy. They won't survive. You can't unless they're charging like thirty dollars per drink. Like just leasing the space in this city is crazy expensive. So I I don't think it's necessarily realistic, but. I like that idea that you don't have to have a, uh, for example, a Whitechapel, which seats, I don't know, probably 60 people and, and, and probably many, much more than that. I'm, I'm way, uh, uh, but, but it's, uh, it's like a stadium bar. It is right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it is a destination. It's, it's a thing to go to. And it's one of those things where you're, you're hovering near a table hoping that people are going to leave so you have some place to sit down and you're nursing your drink and i i don't i don't like that there's another so the other thing that's happening in San Francisco is there is a proposal with the city council to change our last call from 2am 
to either 3 or 4 a.m. Sure. And that <laughs> it's re- it's very popular, but except with me because I live on an alley. Yeah. And I'm in Hayes Valley, which is this sort of hot little it's like Chelsea. And there are a ton of bars here and a ton of restaurants and they're always packed on the weekend and inevitably at 2 a.m. on a Saturday, people are walking down my street yelling at each other from one end to the other. Do you know where the car is? No, I don't know where the car is. I'm thinking you probably shouldn't get in your car, but that's beside the point. Yeah. I don't want to I don't want that happening at three and four in the morning. But my friend who's much younger than I am, he's like then 25. Say. He says, I like we don't even get started till 11. Right. Because oh, we, we work till whatever, and then we go to dinner, and we're going to dinner at 8, and then we're out, and we're like, well, let's go someplace. So you, you don't start until until 11, and then suddenly it's 2 o'clock, well, one thirty really, and they're calling last call, and it's time to go. And they're like, but we're still having fun. So I kind of get it. And and Dinah even said the same thing. Like, that seems that seems reasonable. It's like New York, right? Let Let's extend... So you don't have to suddenly drink and get drunk because you know. Sure, yeah. Well, I but, mean. Uh, I think it'll still happen. Kind of wish that wasn't your motivation. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, but I do think if you're out until like closing time, that is your motivation. Probably right? so, yeah. It's that and sex. You're looking to I, pick somebody I, up. Honestly, drink less, more sex. Um, yeah, go home. Go home and get naked. <laughs> Don't get naked in the bar. That's a bad thing. But yeah, no, go home which, and get naked. Which apparently does happen. Ugh, ugh. No, I don't want to see that. And yeah, there's lots of hand jobs happening in bars in New York. Well, New York New York is a special <laughs> and interesting place. I bet it probably happens here. I mean... Uh, well, Williams and Graham also has a famous story about uh, some dude that managed to have butt sex with his girlfriend in the bathroom, so... Wow, that's that is good. I, <laughs> kudos to that because that's not easy at all, even when you're home <laughs> in bed. Yeah, and I don't want to. I don't. I don't necessarily want to make the uh, direct comparison, but in the gay culture, the bars were the places where you could go and be safe about those things. And you were hanging out with other men or other women. We had the Lexington Club, which was a lesbian bar. Mm-hmm. Um, and things went on in the bathroom. And the idea of gay bars is dying quickly. Um, even here in San Francisco. That's true. Everything got it? so, yeah, everything got so gentrified. And now we're getting married and stuff. So that idea of the gay bar, which, again, it isn't necessarily great drinks, although they're big and have a lot of alcohol in them. Yeah. And the beer is cheap because the point is you're you are pent up. You are, you have to pretend when you're outside these doors all the time. But you're now among friends yeah. and you can relax. If you can't relax, here's a great big drink to help you do so. And I I, I used to go out much more than I do now. And when I first got to the city, I wanted to experience that that gay lifestyle. So I'd go to the stud or I'd go to Midnight Sun in the Castro or I mean there was a, a variety of gay bars you could go to and inevitably yes people were having sex either <laughs> like right 
Right there. Not, right there. <laughs> but generally, they would go in, in the back. In a corner, at least. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's dark, and they're drunk, and they yeah. don't, they're not thinking necessarily, they're not, they're not thinking straight. Uh, I know. That was bad. Um, but um, yeah, gay, gay bars are are going. Gay bars are going. No, yeah. In, in, in the late 90s, when I was just dating my wife, um, she got involved doing choreography and dancing on stage with drag queens. Mm, hot. Super hot. So I went to lots of drag bars. Mm-hmm. Which oh, are fun. They're so, so fun. So fun. Uh, in and around Boston. Um, and it was such a good time. And Oh, yeah. That, it, there's, if, if you haven't been to a drag bar, go. And if you have been to a drag bar, go again. Because they really, they are the most welcoming and open and friendly and happy people you are, you are bound to meet. At least on the surface. There's a lot well, of bitchiness. In, There's a lot drag. of bitchiness going on. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> and, and when you meet them and they're not in drag, they are completely different people. But while, they're, while they are in their, their persona, their character... Yeah. They're so fun, and they're so, and they're also a little bit grabby. Just be aware. Well, they're very flirty, especially if you're a reasonably good-looking straight man. Yes, or even <laughs> not, because because they they do like to like fuck with your expectations. Yeah, totally. So you think you're not gay at all? You're totally straight. Well, mm. how about? Well, this feels good, right? Yeah, and it does. Well, I mean, who doesn't like attention? Period. Very true. Um, at least yeah, and there and you don't and you do not go to a drag bar for the drinks. No, <laughs> no, you're gonna have a Heineken. Uh, yeah, don't place anything that's gonna need a lot of ingredients or that like your go-to drink at home. Get a beer. Get a uh, gin and tonic. A, um, oh, a, a vodka martini, as yeah. they say. Something really simple to make. And like one ingredient or two that they can just pour and hand to you and you give them, give them a 10 buck and, and yep. go on your way. Yep. Yeah. Gin and tonic was my safest bet at the time. And I, I wasn't as fancy as I am now then, but <laughs> fancy. Are there, are there drag bars in Denver? So I honestly can't uh, say because my experience of drag in Denver has been food related and not necessarily mm -hmm. good. Oh, <laughs> what does that mean? Okay, there's so, drag restaurants. Well, there's uh, Hamburger Mary's. Okay, oh, yeah, we have that here as well. Um, so there's that, and the girls from Hamburger Mary's used to do a brunch at a coffee shop, sort of diagonally, diagonally across the street. They no longer do it because they got shut down by the health department. Um, because they were all fucking hung over from the night before. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. The, it was just like the shittiest, like sluttiest drag serving you eggs Benedict. And it was good eggs Benedict. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I uh, I haven't been to a, a there's a couple of good drag bars still operating here. Um, but Den Den uh, Denver also has a, a sort of clutch of drag that is 
it it doesn't work for me because it's like beardos with glitter in their beard mm-hmm. and dresses and wigs and all that stuff. And it's like, no, I, I, I like pretty drag queens. <laughs> mm. We have both. So we, we have the pretty drag queens who really, well, there's also, I forgot, um, Asia SF, which are transgender and in process right drag queen so i don't know if that counts as a drag queen because generally they've got their own boobs right but they, I mean, they've the, also got their own dicks yeah they're they're probably uh performing in the drag genre yes but um they're a little bit beyond drag it's very fun and very loud you do need to get drunk because when they do their lip sync <laughs> stuff they so at HSF they do there's no stage they're doing it on your tables so they will mount your table and do their act mount your table basically yes or or <laughs> the bar so they're 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 kind of all over the place and but they're they're presented so that you can look up and see them and then the music is just oh my god it's like it's it's painfully loud. <laughs> So you really do need to get drunk. Um, and then they're also your waitresses. So and they're super happy to talk about, you know, how, how far along in, in the operation are you and, and mm-hmm. what, what's your plan and stuff like that. So it's fun to take tourists to because it defies their expectations about Certainly. what. Yeah. But, you know, transgender people are weird. I'm like, no, nah. they're they're people. They're cool. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the stud, which is still around. I'm not sure if they're still doing their drag shows. And there's, I think, Dear Mother, uh, which I think Hecklina is still in charge of. And yeah, there's there's there are drag shows in the city. I just haven't kept up enough like I used to. Yeah. When I, I got to the city, that was a thing to do. They were everywhere. Yeah, I, I feel like when we first moved here in 99, it was a really sad scene. And we probably need to look into it more. Denver has a great burlesque scene, mm. which sometimes crosses over a little bit. We get some, yep. in, we get some interesting boylesque and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I, I haven't uh, found really good drag in Denver so far. I bet there's some I don't know about. Yeah, I, I think we've. We've uh, this will piss people off, but nobody listens anyway. I think we passed peak drag here. I think L.A. has got a huge scene going on. New York still has a, with Miss Bunny and still has a huge scene going mm. on. But it feels like a lot of our queens have gotten older. You know, they're yeah. a little long in the tooth, and nobody came along to take over from them. Well, and RuPaul's still doing her reality show, right? Yes, she just switched from uh, Bravo to VH1. Yeah, weirdly, they're basically the same so that, that's cool uh just for the record um amori amargo has the bar seats eight and then the back rail seats or stands five so 13 people fit in that place tiny i but again yeah i like that and it's uh, a little it's annoying when people find out about it though well yeah Every, I want to be the person in there. Every everything says like get there early. Good luck. Um, yeah, Linden, Linden Room just had a big write up in the Chronicle here, and now you can't. You just can't get in. Oh, and that's one of your favorite places. It is. It's very annoying. 
And uh, I will say that Williams and Graham has an alum from Omoria Margo working there. Miss Chris, mm. Miss Christine, she's fabulous. Nice. Oh, Jake, this was a good experiment. I liked. I I really I wasn't aware that there were so many riffs on this. So many riffs. Uh, There's a ton. I feel like there are more named riffs on the uh, last word than there are named riffs on the Negroni. Yes, I think that's true. Because I feel like you can call for like a Chinar Negroni, but I don't think that has a name. Mm, mm-hmm. Or the Mescal Negroni. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder why that is. Hmm. Do people want to claim things? Do you I, have a Do you have a book of your own recipes, by the way? Um, do, you, do you keep track of stuff that you like that you make? Not these days because I'm really just working on a template and substituting like one or two things. Um, so I don't tend to write them down because naming things is impossible. <laughs> that is that is a challenge for sure. You could just call it Jake's number one. <laughs> Jake's number two. No, but like, and also like some of them are just good enough that they're fine to leave in the ether and be discovered again. Like mm. someday I'm going to have Montenegro and I'm going to combine it in this way with whiskey and sweet vermouth just by happenstance. Cause that's a template that I will follow. Yep. Um, but I don't need to like write down my like Montenegro Manhattan. <laughs> like, do, but do you remember them? Cause I've made drinks in the past that I really liked and I didn't, Write them down probably because by that point I was drunk because you keep playing with the the mm-hmm. the, the ratios. Yeah. Um, and I sort of regret it because I remember them being good, but I don't remember I don't remember what's in them. <laughs> the habit these days is I go make drinks and I bring it out to the living room and I put put one down next to my wife and sit down and she's like, What's this? And I'm like, it's a thing I made up. And she tastes it and is like, oh, that has Campari in it. (laughs) Yes, it does. Yes. And basically, if she gets super excited about something, I'll write it down. Mm. If she just recognizes it as one of my riffs on whatever, which is how I think of all of them. Yeah. um, I won't write it down because it'll happen again. Like I'll do. Ripping is good. I think it like you get the you get the jumping off point. I mean that's that's how I came up with the the Iron Age and yeah. the wrong daiquiri. Right. So you do you start out with something that you like already and then you're like what if I put this in instead or added a bit more of this. Yeah. And I see your point that it's not necessarily a different drink altogether than the drink that you're ripping off of, but well I mean I I do like the idea of, of keeping records of those things. A Negroni made with uh, Coqui Americano instead of sweet vermouth is delicious. Uh, I highly recommend it, but what are you going to call that? Like, what? what a, is that a thing? I, well, you, I think that's up for you to decide, right? Because mm-hmm. all of the, so all of the, the variations we've had today do have names. Somebody like said... If I substitute the gin for Laphroaig, it's now this. Right. So I eh, I think it's up to you. Well, and I, I, I used to post things to my blog, you know, back when I had a blog. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> like we all did. Uh, 
So I, I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying you have to. That that's the only reason I would ever like name something is to like post it somewhere, like you do on Twitter, with your wrong decory and mm-hmm. Iron Age and all that. But they disappear on Twitter. They disappear, man. Well, they do, but you can always go back and find your own stream. Your own stream, but your like, own. You can look at your own stream, so to speak. It's hard for me to find yours. Like I, I, Lance had a recipe that had mezcal. Like what? Eh, no. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. That that's a good point, and and a blog would be better. Uh, I don't know. I. I also keep some stuff in my phone so that when I'm at a bar, I can hold it up and go, can you make this? And then they take my phone away and I get a little scared because I don't know what they're going to do. But um, I, but they, the thing I like about bartenders is that they are curious about new recipes and new ingredients. So they are anxious to, to make something. Um, and sometimes they like it and sometimes they don't and and or they'll they'll uh recommend yeah this has too much this in it right did you, did you try it with blah yeah so, so i don't know i i think you should i think you should keep track of these things jake i i just sent you a link to like the my most magical concoction and uh Ooh. it's only magical because it changes colors if you make it in the right uh order and I, I will say this, you need a pretty colorful creme de violette. So the, the Rothman and Winters is actually a good choice, even though it tastes like candy. Like you need, <laughs> you need a dark purple. Okay. Well, the, the, uh, Tempest the one I use. Fugit or bitter, Tempest Fugit it, or it, Bitterman's? Bitter, not Bitterman's. It uh, has bitter in it. Bitter Truth. Bitter Truth. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, which is a deep purple. It's very lovely. Almost blue. Uh, this this is something I did by accident. But uh, as soon as you add the sweet vermouth, and it doesn't have to be Puntimes, it could be like Carpano Antica, it changes green. Like it's deep purple in the mixing glass, and then you put the sweet vermouth and it turns green. So, wow. So it's alchemy. It's It's... <laughs> pretty fun well see that well you've already given it a name but alchemy would be a good name for a cocktail Mm -hmm. and uh like the thai basil mostly as a garnish because i had flowering thai basil at the time so i could float the flowers on top Mm -hmm. and thai basil is not basil right is that true well i mean it, it to me it's not because I've tried substituting basil when they say Thai basil. No. And it do, it is not the same thing. Thai basil has more of an anise flavor to it, um, which some Italian basils also have that, but it's more as a back note than right up front like the Thai basil does. So though, for those curious, what we're talking about, so this is Jake's recipe for the Green Knight. And this will be uh, in our show notes, which you will find at dipsomaniacast.com. Awesome. Lavender bitters. Uh yeah, which I've had forever but are excellent. Like they they're really fun in a martini. But it's a really uh, it's a really big jar of lavender bitters. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think I have Fee Brothers lavender bitters. Mm-hmm. I haven't been buying bitters. I've been I I've, I've held off until I at least finish one of my bottles. I I drink more Amari and aperitifs than 
and all of a sudden I don't use bitters at all. Yeah, I went bitters crazy there for a long time, and I do tend to to swap them swap them out when I'm making martinis um, to to give it a a different scent or a different. Yeah, buzz, but yeah, I I agree. I'm, that, I'm... That's what bitters are for. It's it's for old fashions, martinis, and Manhattans. Mm-hmm. I, I don't make those as much anymore. I I mostly. I, I used to add them to coffee. You can put them on ice cream. Yeah, orange orange bitters in coffee is still. It's 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 a world changer. Put some orange yeah. bitters in your coffee. Yep, I agree. Well, Jakey. So, uh, what's your thoughts on the last word? Uh, I love the last word. As I said, I often forget about it. It's not in my repertoire mm-hmm. of of my go tos, but I think I may have to switch that out and and start doing it because it's well balanced. It's uh, it doesn't get overwhelmed by any of the ingredients. Now that we know that we can swap, you can use rye, you can use scotch, you can use mezcal. You can switch between the green chartreuse and the yellow chartreuse. Apparently, Aperol is very popular. Yep. And the and the fact that it's equal parts of things means you don't have to remember stuff. Yeah, it's 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 a great template for sure. And I think the original is really a fantastic drink. Like it's shockingly well balanced. It yes. Doesn't make sense to me to use that much chartreuse or that much maraschino, but it works perfectly. It does. And I think you could even fuck it up. Like if you go a little over or under on anything, for some reason in the glass, it still works. Yeah. Um, and if you do like something, if you if you are a big chartreuse fan. Bump it up. Sure. Go for it. Um, and as a template for riffing, I think it's, you know, at, at least as fruitful as the Negroni, but you get a fourth ingredient to play with, so... You know, there's some extra stuff. And now is the perfect time because we are in citrus season. Mm. So grab some limes and have some fun. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I I haven't seen any rum variations. It seems like a daiquiri last word crossover is just dying to happen. Hmm. Hmm. May give that a try Uh because I have some really nice rum. So same here. So (laughs) see what happens. Uh, Yeah, but yeah, I I love equal parts recipes. I never give sours as much credit as I should. Yeah, and I might try carbonating as well. I'm I'm kind of back into the carbonation thing. So carbonated there is the lime so equal part of lime that'll probably carbonate pretty well yeah i'm uh, the the a carbonated daiquiri is very fine yeah very nice so yeah i think the last word is a great drink everyone should try it even if they're afraid of gin or chartreuse excellent suggestion jake it is it is a superb cocktail well balanced uh and i bet you could get it at pretty much any bar Oh yeah, it's 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 a definite classic at this point. Um, unless they're like, oh, we don't have chartreuse, then like you're going to be disappointed <laughs> and, with that bar. <laughs> and yeah, don't go to that bar anymore. Chartreuse is is a basic, I think. Yeah, so highly recommended. Everybody go try it. Report back to us. We have comments on dipsomaniacast.com if you want to do that, or Twitter, or whatever. All the things. Facebooky. Yeah. All right, Jake. 
Lance, always a pleasure. Bye-bye, Jake. All right, Lance. Good talking to you.